been welcoming the folks who watch us internationally. And I've been calling out some of the nations. And this, this week I got rebuked on Skype. Because uh, somebody in Japan wanted me to say that our services are being watched in Japan. So just want to do a shout out to Japan. All right. And uh, welcome our... Welcome our congregation in Japan that's uh, watching as well. It's great to be together. It's our third weekend in our series, Hoarding. And uh, we're getting ready to kind of wrap this series up. But you don't want to miss, obviously you're here this weekend, so you won't miss it. But you want to miss the last two messages. I think you're going to find them very, very encouraging and very helpful to know how to overcome this issue of hoarding that we all struggle with in our life. Because last time I asked you, uh, you admitted that you struggle with selfishness. I'm just curious, do you still admit with me that that's a challenge in your life? All right. And we have these lenses, 111th, I can actually see you guys. All right, so w- one more time, let's get our hands up. Make, okay, front row, please. There we go. All right, good. We all struggle with it. And uh, I want to talk about it in, at, from a different angle this, this weekend. I remember when I was a, a little boy, my parents had come back from the mission field. We lived in an in a old rental home. It was called, dubbed the Creep House. And I'll let you go wherever you want with that, all right? It was just old, and uh, it, it needed some rehabbing. It had, a, it had a furnace in it that didn't work quite right. And I remember one afternoon, I was uh, at my aunt's house, which was across the street. Unfortunately, nobody was at the Creep House that afternoon. And I saw smoke coming out of the roof where it shouldn't come. And the next thing we knew is that it was on fire. That old furnace acted up. And I watched that, uh, that morning and afternoon as the firefighters tried to put out the fire. And I watched everything that we had uh, literally go up in, in smoke. And I remember as a kid thinking to myself, what is going to become of us? What is going to become of me? I mean, already as a child, my identity, my sense of value and security was attached to the things that were mine. When I think about what America is going through right now with our growing economic firestorm, I sense, because I feel it sometimes myself, I sense a lot of fear and a lot of concern in people's lives, even the lives of believers and Christians. Many people have already lost a large chunk of their savings or their investments. For a lot of people, their dreams of retirement someday have dissipated. And there's really a a sense in people's lives and in their families of, of what is going to become of us. I mean, our identity and our sense of security and contentment is so attached to our, our possessions because we live in such a material culture. And for so long, we've had the security of that. And now that security is really being threatened. And we feel it being taken away from us. And it's, it's scary. It's scary. And sometimes it even scares me a little bit when I think about it and I think about the future. And that's what makes our passage this weekend so peculiar because the Apostle Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he's writing to people who some, yeah, are rich, some are what we might brand middle class, but almost all of them are poor. I mean, the early church was made up mostly of 
people who are poor. And he sets them, whether you have little or much, he says, be content. Be content. How, how are you supposed to be content when what you have, whether it's a little or a lot, is being taken away from you? How are you supposed to be content when it feels like your dreams are gone? How do you and I learn to live content in this current economic crisis that we are in? Let's look at the answer. It's found in the New Testament in a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to what he considered to be his son in the faith, Timothy. It's found in 1 Timothy. So get your Bibles out. If you forgot your Bible, use the one in the chair back in front of you. Just pull it out and turn toward the back. And you'll come to a letter called 1 Timothy, because that's who Paul wrote it to, is this young pastor named Timothy. And I want you to go to the end of 1 Timothy to chapter 6, all right? 1 Timothy chapter 6. And I want to start out in verse 7 at what I would consider to be a universal principle that I I think all of us would agree upon regardless of our, our faith background or even if we weren't a Christian. If you're an atheist, I think you would have to agree at least with verse 7 where the Apostle Paul says, After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world And we can't take anything with us when we leave it. You know, that's what the Apostle Paul is saying to us. It's something that's pretty obvious to all of us. And that is that uh, we came into this world with nothing. We came in this world with our bare bottom. And that's about it, right? And you know what's really interesting about Infants, when they're born, is they always come out screaming and crying, which they say is a, is a healthy sign of life, right? I mean, you don't see infants coming out of the womb smiling and saying, wow, glad to be here. It was really getting cramped in there, and I love the bright lights and the mass bandits who are handling me and poking me and pinching me and touching me right now. No, it's a terrible, it's an undignified thing. When you think about birth, you come out of the womb absolutely naked and you got these people wearing masks and they're pinching and poking and, and stabbing you and then they grab you, right, after they wipe you off and they, and they wrap you in a straitjacket and then they hand you over to your mother. Now, they say that newborn infants like that straight jacket, that bunting, that being wrapped nice and tight because it feels like they're in the womb again. It feels warm. It feels secure. And there's a sense of contentment that comes from that. And I would suggest to you that we, that we never, ever escape that desire to be in a womb of sort. That is, we all long for a sense of contentment. We all long to be wrapped in security. We all want to be safe. We all want to be satisfied. And where do we find that? Where do we find the safety? Where do we find the security? Where do we find that contentment? Well, in a world without God, 
which is the world that we live in right now. And even here in America, sad to say, we are moving further and further away from God. And, and God and, and, and the Bible no longer dominates our cultural thinking, our way of looking at life. And in a world like that, there's a substitute that's presented to us that will, that will bring us the comfort and bring us the security that we're looking for. And the name of that substitute is money. Let's all say the word together. Money. And money is important to us because money buys possessions. And the mindset of a material culture is that as you buy success, as you buy possessions, you will then have security as a result of those things in your life. So I think it's fair for me to say that our world today runs on money. Now, is there anything wrong with money? No. The Bible no place says that money in and of itself is bad. The question, however, is why do I want money? Why do you want money? It's our attitude toward money that's really the issue. And Paul picks up on that in this passage of scripture and he warns us against accepting the lie that money can bring us contentment that money can bring us satisfaction go back to the text again look at verse 7 it says after all we brought nothing with us when we came into the world and we can't take anything with us when we leave it so if we have enough food and clothing let us be content now look what he says at verse 9 he says but people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are, and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money have wandered from the truth and pierced themselves with many sorrows. And what Paul pictures here for Timothy and for us is the descent of the philosophy that money and materialism can bring us contentment and security and satisfaction. In other words, what he says is, let's watch what happens when we pursue that philosophy. Let's see what the ending is like. And I, and I just want to walk through that with him for a moment. And in order to do that, we've got some, we have a chocolate, a uh, 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 decadent uh, chocolate bunt cake up here. All right? Can you all see it? Okay? Can you smell it? Because I can. I have, I have a, a, a peculiar uh, capacity to sniff out chocolate. And uh, it's just wafting up here, and it smells really, really good. Now, this chocolate cake is going to represent what Paul's talking about here. It's going to represent money. It's going to represent materialism, okay? And the Apostle Paul warns us, he says, don't, he says, be careful you don't get a long look at the chocolate cake. Be careful you don't find yourself longing. And that word in the Greek means intently looking. It means to have intentional purpose. Be careful you don't intend to satisfy your life with that chocolate cake. My little granddaughter was with me. She left this afternoon and broke grandpa's heart. Uh, to go back to Texas with her uh, little brother. 
and uh, it was, it was uh, a fun weekend. My, my, uh, uh, my mom's in town, and so it's my mom's 83rd birthday, and then it's my daughter's birthday and my granddaughter's birthday. They all have birthdays in uh, uh, October. That's three generations, right, uh, of celebrating birthdays. So uh, last night we had, on Friday night, we had this, this wonderful birthday party. And um, my granddaughter, Catalina, who's turning three, was asleep. And her mom, my daughter, made this chocolate cake with pink frosting. And because Catalina, my, daughter, my granddaughter, is into anything princess and anything pink. All right? And, and it's one of these big cakes that, that Bethany, my daughter, made. And when my granddaughter got up from her nap, she came down to the kitchen and she saw the pink cake with three candles in it and her eyes got as big as saucers and she grabbed one of the stools and she pulled it up the cake was on the counter and she pulled it up and she sat on the stool and she looked longingly at the chocolate cake and the pink frosting and the three candles Paul says, when it comes to money and material things, be careful you don't look longingly at it as a source of contentment and satisfaction. Because he says, if you do, look at the verse. He says, if you do, you will become enticed. That's what the word temptation means. You'll become enticed. Literally, it means you will come under the spell of the chocolate cake. Or of the money or the material things. And so we had a bunch of family in last night. And, and uh, my son and his wife and their two kids and grandma and grandpa. The house was busy. And uh, my granddaughter, Catalina, who had been looking with a long look in the direction of the chocolate cake. Kind of darted her eyes around. I knew what was going in her mind because my blood runs through her. And uh, when she noticed that everybody was becoming preoccupied with conversations, her beautiful little hands, precious little hands, all right, very subtly and very carefully moved toward the pink cake until finally they kind of brushed up against the icing. And then she watched carefully as she raised them to her mouth and as she did that my eyes caught her eyes and being a grandpa I winked and (laughs) and she tasted and it wasn't enough to taste it once that same wet finger and she has a bit of a cold touched it again except three fingers brushed against it And all three fingers went in her mouth. She was hooked. She was hooked. And I thought it was cute. And finally somebody noticed and kind of called her down, right? And then, of course, you know, what happens? Then they look at me and go, why didn't you say something? You know, what am I? I'm not going to yell at my little granddaughter for doing that, all right? 
So anyway, that's what Paul says happens to us. When we look longingly at money, when we look longingly at materialism, it, we, it's easy to come under the spell of thinking, yes, if I had that kind of money, if I had that car, if I had that house, if I had that jewelry, if I had those clothes, if I had this, if I had that, then I'd be happy. And we start flirting with it emotionally, maybe even physically touching it, getting near it, until finally... It begins to own us. And, and Paul says, be so careful because if you find yourself longingly look at material things to satisfy your life. <laughs> Sorry, chocolate's making me drool. All right. <laughs> if you find yourself longingly looking at it and then you start, you start playing with it. He said, be careful, you'll get trapped by it. And the word that he uses there is snare. And it's, it's, a, it's a picture of, uh, of, a, of a little trap that was used back in those days to catch birds and little creatures. They would get in the trap and then they would get tangled up in the trap and they wouldn't be able to get out. Paul says, be careful because it is so easy to get tangled up with material things. And like I said, <clears throat> I love chocolate cake. And... You know, it would be easy to convince myself that I don't have to eat the whole stinking cake, all right? But just one piece, that wouldn't hurt at all. Just one piece of chocolate cake and a fork and a plate. Wow. So who's, somebody, where's Tim? Tim, come, come here, brother. Come on down. All right, I have something for you. It's Tim's birthday this weekend, all right? And I was going to eat this cake, Tim. But when your wife, Julie, pointed out to me it was your birthday, I thought we ought to give it to him. So let's all say happy birthday to Tim. Happy birthday. God bless you, friend. All right. Enjoy, all right? Now, I just gave away a piece of the birthday cake, all right? So I need my own. All right? Now I have the birthday cake. And, uh, man, like, I could use the whole cake. But this cake is very expensive. And I can't afford it. But, oh, I'd like to have it. You know what? I had a credit card. American Express. Wait a minute. I've got that. That one's. I got the limit on that one. Wait, I got my United Mileage card. Be such shape. Wait, no, that. They're both limited. What am I going to do? I can take a loan out. I can take a loan out and and get this and get this whole chocolate cake. I mean, one piece isn't enough. The whole deal. It's mine. Yes, mine, mine, mine. I'll sign the note, and it's my cake, and I get to take it home, and, and I got a problem. Paul says that once I've been trapped, this thing can plunge me to ruin and destruction. It can, it can feel like a bunch of arrows have been, have been pierced through my very soul. I got to go home and tell my wife that I bought this chocolate cake. The first question is, always going to be what how much did you pay for that cake the second question is 
And where did you get the money to pay for that cake? And then, it's not going to be a question, it's going to be a statement, we can't afford that cake. But you know what? I'm going to just work harder and longer. I'll get a second job. And you know what? I, I'll, just, I'll just give more effort until, until, I, and, until, I, until I can pay that whole cake off. Do you know that the number one cause of marriage problems that leads to marriage counseling is finances? Do you know how many children there are this weekend throughout America that resent their mothers and fathers because their mothers and fathers spend more time trying to pay bills and make money than they do with those kids. So when Paul tells us that the ultimate reality, if I pursue materialism and lifestyle, is that it'll bring destruction and ruin and feel like arrows piercing my soul. When he says that, we see the evidence of it, don't we? We see the evidence of it all around us. Chocolate cake, money, materialism cannot ultimately bring us happiness. It cannot ultimately bring us contentment. It cannot ultimately satisfy our lives. It runs a greater risk of destroying and ruining and piercing our lives with sorrows untold if we pursue it. And that is our nation today, isn't it? And many of us know that pain and many of us know those sorrows. You say, well, then what are we supposed to do? What's the answer? If contentment can't be found in the chocolate cake, where's contentment found? Look at verse 6. Here it is. Here's what Paul says. He says, yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. See, that's the problem. We've been trying to find great wealth in riches, in money, in things. And Paul says, Great wealth is to be contented with godliness. What does that mean? Simply it means that our, our lives are so thankful for what God has done for us through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We are so, we are so filled with awe with what God has done for us through Jesus Christ, that whatever we have, whatever we have, is already too much. We don't desire more because we have Christ. It's two completely different views of life. One says money is the answer. The other says no, Jesus Christ is the answer. Now, look what Paul says, and watch this carefully. I want you to come down uh, to um, verse 11. He says, but you, Timothy, are a man of God. So he says, run from all these things, all right? These evil things. What evil things is he talking about? He's talking about materialism and chocolate cake. He says, run from these things and pursue and the Greek here is awesome because here's what it means. It says, it says, you're walking by, you're tempted to long, you slow down. He says, now catch up to what matters. Run and catch up to what matters. What matters, he tells us. He says, pursue, catch up to righteousness. That is, integrity and character is great wealth is what he's saying. 
He says, pursue a godly life. That is reverence for God. That's what your life should be about. He says, along with faith. What does he mean by faith? It means belief in the truth of God's word. Not just mental belief that this is the truth, but actually living by this truth. He says, pursue love, not selfishness, but brotherly love. Pursue a love life for others. He says, pursue perseverance. He says, stay, in other words, on the straight path. Make that your pursuit, to stay on the straight and narrow path and gentleness. What's that? That's humility. Paul says, that's what your life needs to be about. Righteousness, godliness, faithfulness, love, perseverance, and gentleness. He says, a man or a woman who makes that the pursuit of their life will ultimately be wealthy and rich in the eyes of God. Does that describe your life? This weekend, would you say that you spend more energy and passion seeking to honor God and live a godly life than you do for the chocolate cake than the material things of this world? Look at verse 12. It says, fight the good fight for the true faith. In other words, this isn't easy to do. you got to fight to make sure you keep yourself squared away. Hold tightly, he says, to the eternal life to which God has called you. Hang on to it because you live in a world that says that it's not the way. You live in a world that says materialism will satisfy you. And Paul says, hang on to God. Hang on to the truth. Pursue what is right, what truly wealth is all about. Which then leaves us the question, what do I do with my money? Because, I mean, the world runs on money. We all have to, you know, we all have to live. We all have to deal with finances. We all have things in our life. How, you know, how do we deal with those things? And Thank God Paul tells us how we should handle money, the chocolate cake. Look at verse 17. He says, teach those who are rich in this world. All right, everybody in this room is rich. Everybody in this room is rich. Now, I know what, you look at other people who are better off than you are, and you think to yourself, no, that's rich. Do you know that the average churchgoer in America makes about $42,409 a year compared to 1.2 billion people in the world who learn less than a dollar a day? The average churchgoer in America makes $42,409 a year compared to 1.2 billion people on earth, who earn less than a dollar a day. In that sense, all of us, most of us, are rich. Paul says, teach those who are rich in this world, in chocolate cake, not to be proud. In other words, don't don't go around boasting about how successful you are, about how big your house is, how nice your car is, how you've made it in life, how big your savings account is, because it can all be gone tomorrow. Don't brag about it, because actually, you didn't earn it. God gave you the capacity. God gave you the gift. God gave you the ability. And as quickly as he gave it to you, he can take it back. Now, there's a whole bunch of people out in the world out there right now, Warren Buffett and everybody else who's making lots of money and bragging about how smart they are and how rich they are. But what they fail to realize is they are taking the skills that God gave them and they are using it selfishly and they'll be held accountable for it one day. And you and I can do the same thing because we're rich too. So don't brag about it. Don't don't look at yourself and pat yourself on the back and say, look what I've done. Instead, look what God has done for you. He says, secondly, don't trust your money. Teach them not to trust their money. Why? Because, I don't know, money has wings. You notice that? 
It easily flies away. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. So don't trust in what won't always be there. And, you know, in the last couple of years, we've all become aware how quickly money can disappear and lose its value. So don't put your trust in the chocolate cake. He says in that passage, Teach those who are rich in the world not to be proud, not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. In other words, learn to live within your means. Learn to be satisfied with what you have. And don't extend yourself beyond that. And that's the problem in a material world. We are never satisfied with what we have. We are always envious of what others have. And so we are always looking to be like the next person. And you know what materialism does? It robs us of a thankful spirit. I mean, America is, you know, you think about it. There's so many thankless people out there. Not thankful for what they have. Are you thankful for what you have? Is what you have enough when you consider the fact that you have Jesus Christ? Do you need more? Do I need more? Learning to live within our means. Now listen to what he says. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they'll be storing up their treasures as good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. In other words, what Paul's saying is true living isn't down here. True living is what we're going to face in eternity. But right now, Paul says, right now, you have been given by God not to keep. You've been given by God to give away. And the greatest cure for hoarding, the greatest cure for hoarding is to give back, is to give away. And the Bible talks an awful lot about giving our money away. In the Old Testament, God commanded the people to tithe. That's how they gave. And they gave, if you look at all the things they're supposed to tithe, about 23.3%. But generally, we talk about the 10% that we give. You say, but pastor, does the New Testament teach tithing? No, it doesn't. You're like, whew, I don't have to do that. No, the New Testament teaches sacrificial giving. And in Luke chapter 21, Jesus was with his disciples in the temple. And while he was there, they were watching people put their money in the, in the treasure chest, so to speak. And Jesus was watching, and it says he was watching the rich put their money in, knowing that they were giving little in comparison to all they had. But then came this widow woman, this, this, this elderly woman, and she put in two coins, and Jesus said, Ah, did you see that woman? And the two coins she just put in. She has given more than all those rich men put together. Why? Because she gave out of her poverty. For her, that was a sacrifice. For her, she gave everything she had. She gave everything she had. And that's what catches the eye of God when we're willing to give everything we have. When our heart is, God, you know, I I have to feed my family. I have to live. I have to make payments. I have to provide, you know, for the future, etc. God understands wise planning and wise stewardship. He understands that. But what God wants is a heart that says, I wish I could give even more than I'm giving to you 
now. And I have a challenging question I want to ask you this weekend. That is, are you a regular giver to God? I'm not talking about the budget. And God forbid the church has become so consumeristic today. You know, people come and give their tithes and offerings like consumers to buy the services of the church. That's all wrong, too. No, I'm talking about giving to God. Because it's the right thing to do. To keep myself in balance and in check. If you're here this weekend and you've not ever practiced tithing, giving to God. And I, and I start with tithing because to me, to me, that's where you start. And then you move into generosity. But if you've never practiced tithing before, I'm going to challenge you this weekend to try it for the next 90 days. Why 90 days? Because I think it takes you 90 days to pray through it, think through it, practice it, to begin to see how God will work in your life in responding to your obedience to him. Now, in the uh, chair pocket ahead of you, you're going to find that there is a card. And uh, can, I get a, can I get a card, Julie? I don't have one. And uh, if you would take those cards out, they're right behind, I think, the hymnals and the Bibles, and pass them down the rows. I want to talk to you about that card. If you don't mind doing that for me, please, all right? Just grab the card, thank you, and pass it down. I would really appreciate that, all right? Now, don't get nervous, all right? It's just, it's an opportunity for you to practice a step of obedience. I'd like everybody to have a card, regardless if you already uh, tithe or don't, all right? And I just want to walk through this with you. If you are at that point in your life this weekend where you're saying, Pastor, you know what? I want to be obedient to God. I I want to stop being a hoarder and a keeper, and I want to become a giver. Then I want to challenge you right now to fill this card out. And in a moment, I'm going to ask all of us, whether you fill one out or not, to pass it into the middle. But right now, I want you to fill it out. It says, I will tithe my income for the next 90 days to this church. Just check that box. Then, if you would check, I will pray and trust God for his blessings in my life daily to be multiplied so that I will recognize them. Please check that. I will inform my pastor in writing as God blesses me and or my family. I'd love to hear your stories. Check that. And finally, I will give through check. Just tell us how you're going to give, how you're going to honor the Lord, if you will also check that. For those of you who are struggling financially and you're saying, you know, I've not been a good steward, we offer a financial living seminar here to help you know how to have a budget, to know how to get out of debt, how to handle your finances well. You're welcome to check that no matter what you put. And we will get in touch with you and you can be part of that seminar. It's helped so many different people. I want to urge you to do that and then just fill out the bottom of that card. And while you're doing that, I just want to tell you a very quick story, all right? Um, I would be, personally, in financial ruin this weekend if it was not for my wife, Marsha. All right? My wife, Marsha, is, is one of the wisest, most faithful individuals other than my mom, all right, that I know. My dad's a good man, too. Don't take that wrong. But my, my mom and Marsha are, are my spiritual heroes, all right? And I remember when we first got married, my wife and I, Marsha and I, I mean, honestly, we were poor. We never thought of ourselves as being poor, but we were. We lived in a house trailer on the edge of town. It was the worst trailer park on Lutz Road in Oak Harbor, Ohio. And sometimes we didn't get paid by the church treasurer. And sometimes I would have to go and remind him we needed to get paid. 
Because I had to put gas in the rusty bucket car that I drove. And we even qualified for low-income assistance in those days. And I remember several times going to my wife and saying, Look, honey, we are serving God. All right? We're living sacrificially. I don't think God expects us to tithe. And my wife would look at me with the most piercing eyes. And she would say to me, Dale Hummel, we are going to honor the Lord no matter what. And I said, yes, ma'am. And she would write that check. And we have always tithed from those days. And I'm so glad Marcia didn't listen to me. Because I want to tell you something. God has richly blessed our lives. I'm not saying necessarily in finances, though he has, he has been good to us for all the years. But God has so richly blessed our lives in ways I can't even describe to you. Family, our relationship, serving him. God has been so good to us. Not because God owed it back to us, but because, you know what, we sought to be faithful to him. I can't promise you that God will send you a check for $1,000 next week. But I know this. If you'll honor God, if you'll put God first, if you'll be faithful to God, well, he is always faithful to you.